You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about mercy, and I knew it for like several days. And then today, all four of our kids decided to manifest disobedience and rebellion all at the same time. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> and everything in me wanted to be like, go to the dungeon of your room. You will have no lunch. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like working on my notes for mercy. <laughs> real talk, real talk. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually have, uh, I have a clip that I want to play to set up uh, the evening. So Jean Valjean was a guest in the bishop's house. Um, out of the goodness of his heart, he, he allowed him to stay there in the middle of the night. You can see him stealing that silver. Not only that, just punching the bishop, knocking him out. And uh, the next day, the bishop offers even more of himself. And I think that forgiveness shows like the greatest display of power because it's, it's almost saying, like, I, I don't need you to repay me because I have so much wealth inside. See, I used to think that forgiveness was, I, I can go ahead and forgive someone who hurt me because God's going to make them pay in the end. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can forgive you because, you know, you're, you're going to have your up and comings some, sometime soon. You're, you know, you're going to have that wake-up call. But that's not, that's not actually forgiveness. And... Um, if you guys are anything like me, you've actually sat in that same position as Jean Valjean. If you're anything like me, you've made huge errors in judgment and chosen the wrong path and even hurt other people in the process. And if you're anything like me, you've broken the rules, you got caught, and you're sat down in front of an authority figure who has the power to inflict a really dismal path of making amends. And if you've had any kind of experience like what I'm talking about, then you've sat ashamed and terrified in that moment, fully knowing that you deserve whatever's coming next. Only to hear your leader, your boss, your parent, your pastor or your government official let you off the hook and call you to a higher level of honor. Has anyone had mercy given to you like that? And it just changes you. There's just such a power to transform in that moment. See, Jesus was tasked with reconciling the most rebellious, disobedient group of people, us, humanity. He was reconciling man back to God. He, he wasn't reconciling God back to man. Jesus Christ is God's ma- mind made up about man. He was reconciling man back to God. And see, the cross changed us. It never changed God. He's an unchanging God, right? The cross changed us. And I can think about back in the garden when God has given Adam and Eve everything. 
he's invited them into this beautiful garden that he created and said, gave them the, the great commission, you know, or the, the four purposes of man, I should say, to cultivate, commune, dominate, multiply. And he, and he says, you can eat of everything, just not this one thing. And of course, you know the story. They ate of it, and the power of sin entered their hearts, their minds. Creation was subject to futility. And I actually think that it's quite possible that the warning that God gave them, that in the, if you eat this fruit, in the day that you eat this fruit, you'll die, it sounded in their newly darkened minds and their suspicion towards the heart of God, it sounded a little bit more like, eat this fruit and I will kill you. And they hid from a man that they used to walk with in the cool of the day. When humanity was at its worst, he let, us, he let us all off the hook by saying that we had no idea what we were doing. He chose the most powerful transformational tool for the guilty heart, which is called mercy. And now our greatest failures are actually our greatest stories. I wanted to share one of my epic failures with you guys. I grew up uh, in a family where we just loved the Holy Spirit. I went to church like three times a week. Um, from the moment I was born, my mom was holding me in her arms, singing worship songs, and we had a band. It was awesome. Back in 1982, that was pretty progressive to have an electric guitar and a drummer on stage at church. And uh, so I grew up enjoying the presence of God and knowing the presence of God. And when I was a teenager, something bizarre happened to me. All of my normal decision-making protocols were overridden by testosterone flooding into my system. And, <laughs> and suddenly, you know, the, the steady path that I had with God became a little bit more, more difficult. And I was consumed with um, thoughts of glorious conquest and the admiration of my peers instead of... <laughs> instead of God's opinion for me. <clears throat> and so um, I, was, I had just turned 18, and um, some, buddy of mine, uh, some buddies of mine stole a, a, big, a couple cases of beer from the restaurant that we were working in, and they said, Jeremy, um, do you want one of these? Uh, because we got all the... And really, they just didn't want me to rat them out because they... <clears throat> They knew that if I was part of the, the plan, then I definitely wouldn't tattle on them. So I was like, yeah, why, yeah, why not? So they put this case of beer in my, my truck, and I had it in there for a couple of days. And, um, and now keep in mind, I'm walking with Jesus. I love the Lord. I'm 18 years old. That very same week, someone's like, hey, Jeremy, I've got an extra fifth of vodka. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, this is a great week. Like, people are just... How bizarre. Like, everyone just wants to give me. <clears throat> and so the weekend comes, and I, I, I'm just, I'm stocked up. I've got a liquor cabinet in my pickup truck. And, um, and, and here's, here's where the, the bad decision-making protocols you know, came in. I called up my buddies. We're all Jesus freaks. We all were experiencing revival in the youth group. Love the Lord, but we were just wild, 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 wild. I called them up and told them the situation, and they're like, well, we can't hang out at my house this weekend. You know, we can't hang out at any of the houses, because all of our parents, they love the Lord. And 
it's too cold to like hang out in the woods. And so I remembered <clears throat> that I actually knew how to get into the church. <sighs> I know. This is a this is a really horrible story. Just buckle up. Put on put on your awkward seatbelts. Um <clears throat> So, me and all my buddies, we go to the church that we grew up in, we worship the Lord in. I was part of the worship team. I was like a student worship leader and being groomed to like take over the youth group. I was just the poster boy, you know, church kid. And so, um, it's got a bump in sound system, so I just start playing some tunes in the sanctuary And uh, we partake of the stolen libations. <laughs> it was not communion. Um, yeah, I know. It's insane. And so we're just having fun, whatever, just being idiots. And one of my buddies, I didn't know this, like he had never had a drop in his life. And he turns green and starts walking back towards the bathroom but doesn't make it. He's in the nursery and throws up all over the nursery. Yeah, it's disgusting. The, the uh, puke puddle was the size of like a fold-out table. Um, <laughs> I like details. You're going to get a lot of details. So in the nursery of my church, he's thrown up. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so we got to clean this mess up. And so me and uh, some friends, other friends are just like clean, cleaning up his well as we can in the state that we're now in. And my other friend's like, I, I don't know if I can take this. And he throws up everywhere. Also, this is like a picture of sin, people. Just bear with me. Just as a dog returns to it. <laughs> so now we've got this enormous problem on our hands, and it smells awful. Um, it's Saturday night. The next morning is church. <clears throat> And so we've cleaned it up. It's because we, I'm just like, you know, we just got to get out of here. We'll lie our way out of this if anyone asks us about it. Because this is like major trouble, major, major trouble. And so we go home. Um, my alarm clock goes off in like four hours because I'm on the worship team. I go to church, <laughs> not in a good state, not in a good place. And... Um, just trying to get through the worship set. When it's done, I decide that I want to go see what kind of job we did cleaning up the nursery on my way out. And so I go into the nursery, open the door, and the smell hits me of partially digested Doritos and <laughs> details. <laughs> and my, I, I walk in there, and I see, like, all the kids, they look, like, really depressed, and my, my friend Dan is actually working the nursery that day. And I, I, I don't even look him in the eye. I just go, hey, Dan, what's that smell, man? And he, and he just says, I don't know, man, but I'm so mad. I was like, okay, bye-bye. And I leave. I drive home and um, go to sleep. Well, what I don't know is that that afternoon, one of my friends who was uh, at the church with me the night before, calls up Dan and says, hey, Dan, you should have been there, man. 
we got into the church and partied and Josh puked on the floor and it was crazy and Dan's just saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's mad for two reasons. One, I didn't invite him to the party and two, I lied to him. He's one of my, one of my close friends and he had to sit in that, that mess. And so he takes it upon himself to go and tell the head pastor everything that I did. Yeah, he rats me out. And, uh, and I find out that the pastor knows that it was me. And so I think, well, um, maybe I can salvage this situation by appearing pious and going and confessing before he thinks that I think that he knows. <laughs> That's what sin will do, right? You just get like manipulated into controlling to the situation and fear, shame, and control just become this whirlwind and... You're afraid of the consequences, you're ashamed of what you do, and so you try to control the circumstances. And so I go into the pastor's office and I say, hey, Pastor Ed, I'm going to send this to him, by the way, he's a good friend. Hey, Pastor Ed, um, I just want to tell you something, Uh, you know that horrible orange stain in the uh, nursery and smell and everything that, uh, that happened like a week ago? He said, mm-hmm. I said, that, that was me, and uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he says something to me he, that I'll never forget. He said, Jeremy, I want you to know that I was so angry about that. But I'm not going to tell your parents I'm not going to tell anyone on staff. I'm not going to take away your responsibilities in the worship or in the youth department. And he said, you are at a a phase, a stage in your life where you can make decisions that can greatly impact your life for good or bad. And he said, now I want you to go and restore your friendship with Dan. So I left that meeting. Just stoked that he, you know, he wasn't going to tell me, tell you know, tell people about what I had done, and that he wasn't taking away any of my roles and responsibilities, which is a bold move, right? I went from that meeting straight to Dan, and I, I said, "Dan, we need to talk." So we uh, we got together, and I looked Dan right in the eye, and I said, "I can't believe that you ratted me out." to the pastor, we are no longer friends. I know, what a schmuck. <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it's shock, not schmuck. <laughs> when I got saved, we dropped the M. Um, <laughs> guys, that's... That's how you know a, a lady really loves you, if she's willing to take a crazy last name like that. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> hey, Schluter. <laughs> Who else has got a crazy last name that you took? Who's got one? All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I told Dan, you'll never be hearing from me again. And now, keep in mind, up until this point, 
I, I love the Lord. I just, I'm, I'm making stupid decisions. I mean, kids are professional mistake makers. I don't know if you knew that. But I was making horrible choices, and, um, but I still love the Lord. But after that point, what happened was a delusion came over me where um, within a couple months, I didn't believe that any of my encounters with God were real. That it was all emotionalism, and um, and I and I started living just like a complete heathen. I was very hedonistic, and basically told people I wasn't a believer, and just partied, and lived in a way that treated this temple very, very poorly for a couple of years. And I want now to put up. On the screen, Matthew 18. Because I lived out this very parable. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to the Lord, Lord, how often uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Let me just read it from up here. As many as seven times? Then Jesus said to him, no, not, not seven times, but 70, uh, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to uh, what a man can make in his lifetime. And so this servant owes his master a, like a life. A lifetime of work. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children with all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Then his fellow servants saw what had taken place, and they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, or other versions say the tormentors until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, the first servant owed a ridiculously large sum of money. And then the other servant owed that servant probably a couple thousand dollars. The only way that first servant could have gotten a hold of that kind of debt is he, he probably threw embezzlement. Because when the master went to settle accounts, it was pretty much discovered that this guy owed a whole lot of money somehow. And when he was forgiven that debt, 
I mean, the, the master knows that there's, there's no way this guy can pay the debt. There's no way he can pay me back what he owes me. And so he has pity on him, forgives him the debt, and he goes out and he won't forgive the guy who owes him a few thousand bucks. And hands that guy over to the jailers. That guy goes to jail until he can pay every penny. And of course, the master finds out and says, well, I showed you extreme mercy and you couldn't show a little bit of mercy. And so now it's your turn to go to jail and experience what it's like. Until every dime is paid back. And so that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was forgiven, and I, and I went out literally just like that parable and wouldn't forgive my friend for the small thing that he did to me. And what happened was an element of the Lord's mercy left my life. Do you know that um, power, love, and sound mind are, um, they're not just freely given, power, love, and sound mind. I lost my sound mind. It's, it's a privilege to walk in power, love, and sound mind. Well, I fell into a delusion, and, and the mercy of the Lord that I lost in that moment led me down this, this dark path, and I was tormented. I was handed over to the jailers, and literally th- Payment was being extracted from me for years. Heartache, horrible decisions, and the the I, I couldn't hear the the voice of the Lord. I had entered into bitterness and unforgiveness, and I'd chosen that path. Well, there's a happy ending to the story. I'm still not in that place. I don't know if you guys knew that the the guy holding the microphone in front of the church. Um, <laughs> a couple of years into it, uh, the Lord broke in again through the love of a brother, and uh, I repented and gave my life back to Jesus. <clears throat> like, psych, just kidding, Lord, have my life again. Um, and when I saw my friend Dan again, I restored our friendship, and I, I pleaded with him to forgive me. And we became close friends again. This is James 2.13. It says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, up until Jesus, we had a system of justice established through the law. um, And it was very much an eye for an eye. If you stole something or hurt somebody, you had to make restitution. Or even worse, retribution. And so if you stole a sheep, you had to give the sheep back or give an equal value sheep back and pay 20% of the value of the sheep on top of it. So that's called restitution in order to regain uh, access to the community and to regain fellowship with that person that you hurt. So up until Jesus, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, sheep for a sheep, and... um, but he came along and he suffered the ultimate cost. He was wronged more than anyone. Falsely accused, torn apart, hung on a cross. He's looking down at the very people who put him there, the very ones that were conniving and pulling strings behind the scenes, the very ones that 
just hated him without cause. He looked down at those guys and said, you guys don't even know what you're doing. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you think he was exaggerating? I mean, is he known for exaggerating or throwing out a phrase that is a stretch of the truth? No. He looked at the people who killed him and said, Lord, they, they don't understand. They've been completely deceived, bamboozled, tricked. They don't know what spirit they are of. And he let them off the hook. Now, what's crazy is um, that's some supreme authority. He totally let these guys off the hook, which means when they stood before the Lord, you know, if, if there's that moment where, you know, your life is, you know, in the hands of God and you're standing at the judgment seat and he's, and he's looking at what you've done, when the very people who murdered Jesus stood before the Father, they may have had a, a sin list a mile long, but nowhere on there will you find murdering the Son of God. Because Jesus erased it. He forgave them. The very ones who murdered Jesus would never pay for what they did. He wouldn't allow it. See, he has so much internal wealth that he doesn't need a single man to pay him back. So the supreme authority that our court system has in the U.S. is if you're standing you know, before the judge of the Supreme Court, he could render a, a verdict that could actually end your life or, or you'd be in prison for the rest of your life. That's ultimate authority that our court system has. Death or acquittal. And one really cool thing about the U.S. court system is that if you are acquitted of charges, you can never be tried for those same charges again. How cool is that? They tapped into the kingdom on that one. Go founding fathers. So our judge, the father, he has supreme authority, right? Over humanity, over every one of us. He can render a verdict. It's either eternal destruction or eternal life. That's incredible power, right? I mentioned earlier in Genesis 2-7, when, when God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils and gave him a commission. He gave him some incredible authority over the earth. And they were able to cultivate, commune, multiply, and multiply and dominate. They had dominion over creation. Do you know that there's only one other instance in all of scripture where God himself breathed directly into man? There's only one other. I noticed this a few years ago. And it's in John 20, verses 21 through 23. This is the resurrected Jesus. He does that thing where he just pops through, through the wall and shows up in a room. 
with his disciples, and they're freaked out, and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. So in the two instances in all of Scripture where God breathed on man, and the first one, man gets a commission, and it's to take dominion of all of creation. And the second one, you have God breathing into man again, and he gets a commission. He says, go forgive everyone. And we actually get a glimpse into what was happening in the spirit realm before Jesus is manifested on earth. Would you stand up here for a second, Alexis? Let's say Alexis is Jesus. Jesus, he shows up in John 20, and he explains to the disciples, as the Father sent me, so now am I sending you. So he goes, this is the Father speaking to the Son in the heavens before the Son is manifested on earth. And he goes, go forgive them. And Jesus is born. You can sit down. Sorry for my bad breath. He said, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. He breathed on him and said, go forgive him. Go manifest mercy. Go let him off the hook. Go show him who I really am. Go show him how kind I really am. See, I had entered a prison of unforgiveness because I, I chose not to let my brother off the hook. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. He says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then offer your gift. So Jesus is, I mean, he's saying like, if you come in to church on a Sunday night and worship is hopping and you're praising your guts out, but you remember that your brother, your friend, has, he's holding a grudge. Go ahead and stop worshiping me and go first be reconciled to your brother. Do everything you can to earn his heart back. And he explains why in the next chapter. In Matthew 6.15, he says, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father won't forgive you. And so he is actually saying, I need you to go and and reach out to the people who are holding grudges against you and give them a get-out-of-jail-free card. You need, to, you need to do everything possible because they are in a place where my mercies are blocked from their life, and they have chosen it. I didn't put them there. They put themselves there. They crawled under an old, rusty tin roof called the law where the reins of the mercy of the Father can't reach them. He is so interested in us being 
no strings attached, completely freely giving of our forgiveness and our mercy. One time he told me, it's better that injustices fall on you than the unbelievers. Because you're just going to let them off the hook. You're going to forgive that sin out of existence, just like Jesus did. But if, unbelie- if you know, this injustice falls on an unbeliever, it might end up on the 6 o'clock news. When he told me that, it kind of messed with my whole system of thought because I thought, well, I mean, I thought we were supposed to be protected and have a really good life. He's like, yeah, but you're also supposed to die for people. (laughs) And that night, I took my wife out on a date, and um, we pulled in. It was actually Valentine's weekend, and I didn't plan very well, and there were no parking spaces, and... And so I circled this uh, restaurant a few times in Addison and found no parking spots. And so I just, I pulled up to the front and let my wife out to go get a table. And she also had her her younger brother, so it wasn't really a date, never mind. Um, It's kind of like a date. Um, So they're, they're... they get out of the car, and I notice a parking spot right up front begins to open up, and it's directly behind me. And so what I do is I turn on my blinker, I put the car in reverse, and keep my foot on the brake until I'm like, everybody get out of the car, get, 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 get. And so everybody, or like if anybody else comes, if another car comes, he can see that I've indicated that I'm backing into that open parking space. Well, of course what happens is someone comes from the other direction, and he turns on his blinker for the same parking space. I'm like, mm-mm. Oh, no, no. And, and I'm, at this point, I'm hoping that the guy backing out of the parking space backs out in the correct direction so that I can get in there really quick. And, of course, he does because I'm thinking God's so good to me. And so <clears throat> I back, you know, quickly into that parking space, and I've secured a parking space right by the front door, and it's amazing. And the other car hits his gas pedal, comes straight at my vehicle, slams on his brakes inches from my bumper, lays on his horn, down goes the window, and out comes all the expletives. (laughs) And he's just laying into me. And everybody in here has had those moments. It gets heated, especially dudes. And of course, I am not thinking, oh, it's great that injustices fall on me. I'm thinking, do I have that little baseball bat in my truck? And how big is this guy and does he know how to fight? (laughs) Being honest. (laughs) And you know, the blood pressure's up and the tension's on, and I just decide I'm just gonna, gonna walk right into the restaurant, not even look at him. And so I get out of my car and I start walking to my, into the restaurant and he lunges his, his car at me and stops inches from my knee and lays on his horn. And at this point, he's just unleashing a demonic stream of expletives. And, uh, and I, I think, you know, it would be a good idea is to re-explain the situation to this man. <laughs> 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 and so I said, 
Sir, you could clearly see that I was here first with my blinker on. <laughs> it didn't help at all. Um, he didn't see it from my point of view. And, um, and I think, like, this is, this, is, this is turning into a situation, and Ashley hasn't even made it all the way into the door yet, so he's, you know, challenging my honor in front of my bride. And, uh, and I just decided, I'm just going to walk in. It's okay. He's, he's a silly, angry man. And, but I get into um, the restaurant, and I am just, I can't get past this, this moment. It has, like, arrested my heart, and I'm just playing it over and over in my head. I wish I would have said this. wish I would have done that. Like, what would have happened if I did that? Anybody else? <laughs> yeah, and, and and Ashley's sitting there at the table, like scared to look at me. She's like, "Are you are you okay, honey?" <laughs> and I'm just, my heart rate is up, and I'm just fuming. And I hear the Lord whisper, "It's better that injustices fall on you." And I say, "Oh, you're right, Lord." And I literally felt like a, a stress dump from my soul. And and I just say. Lord, I let him off the hook. He doesn't know what he's doing. I ask that you'd bless him. You pour out mercies. You'd rain goodness on his life. But wherever he is right now, I ask that you'd just attack him with your goodness. Go give him a bear hug. So the first guy to, um, first guy recorded to lay down his life for the gospel is a guy named Stephen. And in this moment, he has a situation similar to mine. He's surrounded by these humans who are acting like jackals, waiting to pounce on him, waiting for the moment where they're going to murder him. And Stephen doesn't back down. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, which Michael talked about last week. He said, if you get in the presence of a hostile audience, it is actually promised by Jesus in all four Gospels, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you the words to say. So Stephen has the Holy Spirit come upon him, and he gives one of the coolest prophetic uh, testimonies of the nature of Jesus from all of these scriptures. And then he doesn't, even, he doesn't back down, and, and, he, and, he's, and he's saying, guys, like, he's essentially saying, wake up. Your fathers killed the prophets, and now you're doing it again. And anyway, they... Stephen's face shines like an angel. They stop their ears and start yelling. And Stephen is saying, you know, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they go, la, 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 la. And they drag him outside of town and stone him to death. And as he's dying, what does Stephen say? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And that sin was erased from history. And the very man who gave uh, the authority, gave permission, who was overseeing the murder of Stephen was a guy named Saul. 44 verses later, Saul is ransomed out of darkness. He is actually pardoned by Stephen's prayer. And a jihadist that killed our first martyr became the guy that wrote half of your Bible. 
And Stephen was saying, I can't let my blood condemn another. I've been bought at a price. I don't even belong to me. And he took the death out of murder and he took the sting out of it. And he actually said, Lord, just pour out mercies instead. Forgive them. Instead of justice, like our, our, our sense of justice, instead of saying, just like, Lord, don't, don't forget this. Make them pay. He's saying, Lord, completely forget this. Don't make them pay. As hard as they tried, they couldn't hurt a man who was already dead. Can you put up 2 Corinthians 5.16? This is where I want to end today. So Jesus shows up and he is saying to his disciples, he's saying to people, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He's saying, I and the Father are one. I don't do anything without him telling me. Again and again, he's saying, if you are wondering what the Father looks like, look at me. There's no separation. And he was tasked with reconciling us to God, and he did it by laying down his life for us. And just like Stephen, while we were throwing all of our rage and insult and accusation on Jesus. He's saying to the Father, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Let them off the hook. This is why I came. And he's looking at the people while they're, he's looking at us while we are pouring out our rage and accusation on him. And he's saying, you you don't even understand. You're confused. Forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And the only way to undo what happened in the mind of man in the fall of the garden was for God Himself to show up and let us pour out all of our rage, all of our wrath on Him while He's letting us off the hook so that we can finally drop our accusation of the Father and come out of hiding. Second Corinthians five sixteen. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Congratulations. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ... All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you guys catch that? The Father was in Christ when Christ was on the cross. The Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There wasn't this moment where the Trinity was broken. Jesus even said to his disciples very clearly about the crucifixion. He said very clearly, you all are going to desert me, but the Father will never leave me. And now God is in us, reconciling the world to himself. And he's going to do it in very similar ways. We get to love people when they're nasty. We get to lay down our rights to a fair trial. We have to give up the hope of being paid back. We have to look at people who have deviously slandered us or wronged us or prevented us and look at them with the kindness of the Lord in our hearts saying you didn't know what you were doing because they didn't and neither did we. See, Jesus being murdered by the rulers of this age was the worst mistake they ever made. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now look at what they have on their hands. We have an army of forgivers, ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal, not through just one man, but through millions, hundreds, of millions of ambassadors of Christ laying down our lives, reconciling the world back to a God who is always intending to forgive, to let us off the hook, and to redeem us to him. Tonight, I want to do two things. I want to let ourselves off the hook and our loved ones off the hook. Sound like fun? Let's stand up and pray it in. Holy Spirit, thank you for your empowering love. Thank you that the grace of God that leads us to walk in righteousness has appeared to all men. Thank you, Father, that empowering grace rests in us and on us and moves through us in this very moment. We ask, God, that you would forgive us for holding captive people in our hearts. And right now, we bring them up to you by name in our mind. We let that family member off the hook. We say, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. We let our friend who hurt us, significant others from the past, exes, we let them off the hook. Even spouses who have wronged us, even ex-wives and ex-husbands, we let them off the hook. 
We let our fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and every person who has brought trauma into our lives, we let them off the hook and we say they didn't know what they were doing, God, and I'm tired of carrying this. Father, I ask that you would forgive me for holding on and I, I choose right now to let myself off the hook based on your forgiveness. Ask for the mercy reigns from heaven to begin to fall on us again. By faith, we step out of that old tin shed called the law back into a place called grace. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, that when we were at our worst, you were still smiling, you were still loving. You were still reaching out. Thank you, Jesus, that we are able to love because you loved us first, that we are able to freely give because you have freely given. in a way that brings you so much honor and brings so many people into relationship with you. Ask God that you would make your appeal through us again in increasing measure. As ambassadors for Christ, we would be the ones just spilling love everywhere we go. You would increase joy, hope, peace, righteousness, and the Holy Ghost, the drunken joy, the presence of God, the party of heaven, increase in our hearts that we would walk out of this room as representatives and manifestors of heaven. In Jesus' name.